While less discussed than human hauntings, pet hauntings are widespread, and in some cases, the stuff of legend. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard the story of former Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King speaking with his beloved dog Pat from beyond the grave through a medium. Who's to say that creak in the middle of the night wasn't your deceased pet coming to watch over you? I'm Blair Newby, and this is Chatham Ken Hauntings. Everyone can attest that there is a deep connection between pet owners and their pets. They even become part of their family. So if you believe that other family members have the ability to return after crossing over, why can't one think the same of our pets? The story is about to be shared by Sheila Gibbs, Lisa Gilbert, and Jim Gilbert, authors, historians, and the organizers of Ghost Walks of Chatham-Kent, detail such encounters. Our first animal spirit tale is the story of Rex at the Armories. When we think of ghost stories, naturally, first of all, we think of people. People who have lived in a place for a long time or worked somewhere they really loved, like Charlie McGregor at the Capitol Theater. And they have left an impression, an imprint upon the place. Oftentimes, though, the first thing we hear from people telling us their ghostly experiences is that their pets, usually cats or dogs in most instances, sense something strange, something unknown that their owners can't see or hear and that tips them off that something else is going on. Or they become the stars of the story, as is the case with the following one. After the Second World War, the armories used to hire a live-in caretaker who was usually a retired military man, which makes sense. The best known of these was Ted McLaughlin, and he and his family lived there for 18 years in an apartment on the second floor, something you may never have imagined being possible. It had three bedrooms, a kitchen, bathroom, and living room. The armories are large enough to host an indoor baseball league. So the children loved having such a large space to play in. We used to roller skate and play badminton inside the building, said one daughter. And of course, outside their huge front yard was Tecumseh Park. Ted served as a chauffeur to a general overseas during World War II. And when he returned and got this job, he was given 65 keys on a heavy keychain, because every lock in the armories needed a different key. These keys would jingle as he went around checking on doors with Rex, a German shepherd, as his faithful companion accompanying him on his rounds. Rex loved the military people, and he was so smart that he could distinguish someone not dressed in uniform and would hold them at bay until Ted gave him the okay. 
He was very popular with the staff serving there, who treated him like a member of the gang. Unfortunately, Ted died before Rex in 1970, and the dog pined away without his master and died soon after. Since that time, people working at night in the armories often hear the footsteps of this last caretaker and the click-clack, click-clack, click-clack of the dog's nails on the floor as they make their rounds. In fact, a cleaner on duty in the last few years one night heard the sounds as she was working and ran out of the building and refused to return. It's also been said that Rex has been spotted up on the roof and that he barks at passers-by. And that's the story of Rex at the Armories. Up next, the tale of the haunting of King on Inches Street. The next story that we're going to look at occurs on Inches Avenue. And it occurs in a large, well, rather spooky-looking house because it's quite large and it's set back. The apparition, I guess I can call it that, that occurs here is of a dog. Now, we've had other stories of apparitions of animals, a, a pony, for example, and another dog over at the armories. But this one was named King, and he was a faithful companion of um, Mr. William John McGregor, who was named president of the Canadian and Dominion Sugar Company in 1942. And he lived in this house by himself, never got married, never had any children, uh, lived it for 47 years. And of course, the dog became very attached to him, and he became very attached to the dog. Now, uh, obviously, he couldn't live forever, live forever, the dog. So he did eventually die, and um, Mr. McGregor was heartbroken at this. So he buried him in the backyard. He still wanted to be close to him, and he's got a, a marker for him as, as well, signifying that it's king is buried here. Now, soon after um, that he died, people in the neighborhood started saying that they would still hear king, which was an impossible thing to happen, but they did. They heard, heard him, and this has been going on forever, and sometimes some people still say to this very day that they can hear King. And also, um, one of the people doing renovations in the house, he bought this house and he did some renovations in the early 70s. And he said that he thought he saw Mr. McGregor as well as the, the ghost. This Mr. McGregor was in the house, and he'd catch glimpses of who he thought was Mr. McGregor um, going back and forth from one room to another room. And as if he were plainly alive, like it was the, the whole specter of him, he, he could sell. So it begs the question as to whether uh, Mr. McGregor um, lived in, the, as I said, lived in the house for 40-some years, 
did he not want to give up the house? And oftentimes, as we found out, that um, when renovations are done in the house, that it often stirs up uh, spirits because sometimes spirits don't want to change. They want it left as they are. So this maybe is what occurred. So not only do we have uh, the outside with the appearance of King and the sound is not the appearance. I don't think anybody has seen King, but they've certainly heard him barking. And that's been going on for a long time. And then, of course, we get uh, the, the renovator who saw um, very distinctly a person who he thought was Mr. McGregor. So there, there's really two uh, ghosts in this house or spirits in this house and from very different situations. And that's the haunting tale of King on Inches Street. Up next, the incredible story of the Phantom Pony. So we've been talking about um, animals that have become phantoms of one sort or another. And, you know, we didn't mention this yet, but the, there, there is a story that was told to us uh, about a phantom carriage over on, on Gray Street, horses in a carriage that have appeared uh, to some people uh, over on Gray Street. So it's, it's an, it's, they're unusual in a sense, but because we've heard so many ghost stories over the years, I guess, we um, have some, some animal stories, uh, stories of animals. As I, I, I like uh, Sheila's line is, uh, a stable of specters. So, yes, I think that, or a spectral stable, let's say that. Uh, so, my story involves a phantom pony. And it takes place in a house, a very old house, along the Sydenham River between Wallaceburg and Tupperville. This man who told us this story was saying that he, he lived in this house and he was upstairs at, in this back room that they kind of used as a rec room. And he was just relaxing, sitting in a chair, and he heard a distinctive clop, clop, clop of horses' hooves along the floor of this house, of this room, I should say. And this is a room at the back upstairs in this house. So very unusual. But he was very clear that that's what it was. It was definitely the sound of horses' hooves. So he went downstairs, because of course that would be disturbing to me too. Um, And he asked his wife and she said, no, I didn't hear anything, nothing at all. So... He just kind of, you know, of course, the story stayed with him. And so one time, some time later, he happened to be talking to a friend about, and it, it came up. And so he told him this story. Well, as it turns out, in a strange kind of coincidence, this man's grandmother had grown up in this house. And she had always told him this story. The story was that when she was quite a young girl, she and her siblings were home one day and it was in the middle of the winter, very cold, snow blowing, really horrible day. But they were home without their parents. Their parents were gone somewhere and 
they had a pony and it was a favorite pony of theirs. Uh, It was like a friend of theirs. And unfortunately, this pony was dying. It was very sick. So probably because the parents weren't there, they talked themselves into going out to the barn, getting this pony, somehow getting it up the stairs and into this back room, the same room where the other fellow had heard the horse's hooves so many years later. Uh, Because the reason why is because that uh, room of the house was the warmest. It had a fire going in the pot-bellied stove there. So they brought this horse in, hoping to warm it up and revive it. But unfortunately, they were unsuccessful. And the the horse, the pony, died in that room. Uh, How they were ever able to explain it to their parents, I don't know. But anyway, so the horse died in that room. And so, of course, it would make sense that that's where the horse's hooves were heard all those years later. And those are the ghostly tales for this week's episode. But stick around for a roundtable discussion featuring our Ghost Walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert. Well, there's some people, of course, who say that uh, if if there's no dogs or cats or animals <laughs> in heaven, they don't want to go. <laughs> and uh, I feel the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, if, if there are if they're populated by dogs and cats and horses, it said I don't want to go. <laughs> well, you know, I I'm I'm not at all surprised. I mean, really, the only thing that surprises me is that we really only have a few stories about spectral um, pets. Well, I think because people don't want to talk about that. They don't even want to talk about (laughs) the average ghosts that people see. Perhaps, They don't want to say, oh, yeah, my dog is is a ghost. Yeah, perhaps. Well, there's Bridget there on Cross Street, though, that uh, when they moved in, one family that moved in, and their daughter was just wanting to have a, a kitten, a cat for a pet, and they kept trying. They had a number, I, I think it was quite a large number, like 10 They'd attempts to have a cat as a pet. And they all ran away because <laughs> of Bridget, the spirit that's uh, said to live in that house on Cross Street. Wow. So that's, that's why there are no pet ghosts in that house. Yes, <laughs> anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and well, I remember now the only seance that I've ever been associated with um, because I wasn't really associated with that seance that you did at uh, the Milner house. I was in the other room. Um, So the only seance that I've ever been a part of was uh, in that house on King Street. Mm. And the only sound that even, you know, we could have, that we heard was a, a, a barking of a dog. And a drop in temperature too. And well, drop in temperature. Yes, a drop in temperature as well. But I'm just, and, and I'm just it, thinking. You know, I mean, this is a house where there were a number of human ghosts, or more than one human ghost that yeah. had been reported. But it was a, a dog that we heard. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite the experience. That one. It was definitely. Well, there are, as Shakespeare said, there are more things in heaven and earth that I've dreamt of in your philosophy, right? Exactly. Yes. And exactly. I think that is a key thing to, 
to remember about all of this that it that uh, I think that as Lisa mentioned earlier the when we were discussing the popularity of ghost stories that they're perennially popular because none of us know what's going to happen and we all want to have some some reassurance some hope that there is something after we depart this life to make it less frightening because it is a frightening prospect to leave everything behind that you know and go into um that born from which no traveler ever returns. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting that, um, you know, generally when you talk to somebody about ghost stories, they, they want to be scared and that, you know, that ghosts are somehow malevolent. But in fact, really, the, I would say the vast majority of the stories that we have accumulated, the ghosts are... They're not helpful. Well, they're they're helpful sometimes, or certainly they they aren't bad. They aren't trying to uh, to you know kill these people or whatever. But that's the kind of impression that you get when you you know watch horror movies well, or that's, whatever. I was just going to say it's Hollywood that yes. creates this. Yes, you know because as we found out, um, most ghosts aren't going to kill you. No. They're they're generally people. They're generally you know they want to they want to move on too. They're not happy where they are. And I think what's scary about them is that they startle you because you're not expecting it, right? right? But they they generally are just there because well, they I can't go anywhere else. Sometimes they want attention. They exactly. want you to notice them. They want to be acknowledged. They want to yeah. be acknowledged. That's right. And many times when people have asked me, well, what can we do if they are so, uh, uh, you know, un unsettled by this whole experience? I say, have you introduced yourself? Have you done that? Have you said, you know, this is my name. This is my son. This is my husband. And when uh, in different stories I've heard from people, when they have actually done that, they've introduced themselves, you know, to a space things change. Yeah. And they're not threatening. They're not threatening. Like you're mentioning, they want to be acknowledged. And, and so many of the stories that, um, uh, that we have heard, they have once, once be, if they've stayed in this house for some time, once they get over the initial reaction, the ghost becomes part of the family. Yes. Yes. The house that we were mentioning that we we're all in it. We were invited to a seance uh, to take part in there. Um, that uh, the owner, the, the former owner, said that it felt like a warm hug coming into that house. Huh. That he he yeah. he liked having the spirits there. Exactly. They were company. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I I remember a story, and this is not a local story, but I I always remember it because um, it it took place in an old old house, and this family had lived there throughout uh, throughout their like it was a generation grew up there and uh this ghost had had appeared over the years and on the morning that the daughter of the family got married they came downstairs and they found a pair of scissors that were obviously 18th century scissors sitting on the table as a wedding present yeah yeah <laughs> That's a great. That's a great story. Yeah, and I think that's more the commonplace story than than the Hollywood than the Hollywood. Film. We're going to kill you. Yes. No. That's that's not the case. Exactly. No. 
And that's it for this week's episode of Chatham Kent Hauntings. Special thanks to our Ghost Walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert. And to our producers, Josh Brody and Spencer Hamilton. Until next haunting. <laughs>